and the glory forever. Amen. Good morning. Today's scripture lesson is Matthew 5, 27 through 30. Hear the word of the Lord. You have heard that it is, was said, you shall not commit adultery. But I tell you that anyone who looks at a woman lustfully has already committed adultery with her in his heart. If your right eye causes you to stumble, gouge it out and throw it away. It is better for you to lose one part of your body than for your whole body to be thrown into hell. And if your right hand causes you to stumble, cut it off and throw it away. It is better for you to lose one part of your body than for your whole body to go into hell. This is the word of God for the people of God. Thanks be to God. Well, if you've been with us for a while, you know that for the past few months, we have been looking at Jesus, who he is, what he said, what he did, and why that matters. And we just finished going through the Christmas season, looking at the birth of Jesus. And now as we enter into the new year, we're going to continue to look at the life and teachings of Jesus. And in the month of January, we're going to look at what Jesus had to say about romance and marriage and physical intimacy. And you may be wondering, why are we talking about this? Of all the subjects we could address in church, of all the the topics Jesus taught on, why are we spending time on this particular issue? We're doing this, friends, because Jesus had some very important things to say about this particular issue. If Jesus is, in fact, the Son of God, if He did come to reveal God's truth to us and explain God's ways to us, and if, as Christ's followers, we're seeking to live in conformity with that truth, then it's good and right for us to consider what Jesus had to say about this particular topic and how we might live in obedience to it, especially, I think, in these days in which we live. Because in the area of physical intimacy and romance and marriage, a failure to honor God in this area can lead to great pain and brokenness in our lives, in our relationships, in our families. Poor habits and patterns in marriage not only affect the the marriage, they affect children, if you have children, and even grandchildren. Because the truth about it is, friends, uh, sins that occur in relationships, can have a cascading effect down through generations. And so what Jesus has to say on this issue is very, very important. And it's really important that we listen and consider it. We also need to talk about this issue because, uh, well, frankly, if Christians don't listen to Jesus on this, if we don't pay attention to what Jesus has to say on this, we'll set our standards on physical intimacy and marriage based on what the secular culture tells us. See, here's the truth about you and me. We're all going to have standards. We are. We're all going to set standards and have standards. The question is, where do those standards 
come from? What shapes them? What informs them? See, the reality is, you and I are going to determine what healthy marriages look like, what sexual morality looks like. But where do we get that standard? From Fifty Shades of Grey? From the latest quote of your favorite Hollywood celebrity? From the latest hot TV series on HBO? From uh, the lyrics to your favorite song? From the headlines in the magazines that you see at the checkout stand at the grocery store? See, friends, we're living in a culture where all kinds of different voices have something to say about what is or is not standard. And it's time we as Christ followers paid close attention to what Jesus said is the standard. Can I get an amen on that? Because, see, we're living in the aftermath of the sexual revolution of the 1960s and early 70s. And if you're my age, you kind of grew up in that era. If you're younger, you probably don't even realize that occurred, perhaps. It's been normal to you. But the sexual revolution was a social, social and cultural movement where standards of what is or is not acceptable sexual behavior and standards have been changed. We've totally changed our view. Uh, We've been liberated from the prudish and restrictive type of sexuality taught by formal religion. And we've entered into a new era where we've been freed from the shackles of that traditional morality and all the guilt and shame that came with it. There are people who say the sexual revolution did our culture some great good. And I, I think in some ways it has done some good. It, is, it has caused the church to have to rethink how we teach about this subject. Sex is not evil or dirty or bad. and It's not just for having children. You know, but the, the reality is, friends, on the other hand, I cannot but wonder if some aspects of the sexual revolution haven't really freed us from shackles. They've just introduced new shackles. And we're just enslaved in a different way today than we were generations ago. Rising rates of sexually transmitted diseases, pornography addiction, abortion on demand, human trafficking, increased divorce rates, the objectification of women, absentee fathers. I could go on and on. The Old Testament prophets speaking to the Hebrew people during a series of in their history, during a period in their history where they had forgotten God's moral standards in this particular area and everybody did what was right in their own eyes, as the Bible says. The prophet Jeremiah stood up and spoke God's word boldly and he said, these people have forgotten how to blush. They've forgotten what it feels like when you ignore the standards and you just drift. And I can't help but wonder if we're... Growing up and raising children in an era where we have forgotten how to blush. Could Jesus have something important, something relevant, something significant to say about how we pursue intimacy in a healthy way? How we build strong, healthy marriages? Let's take a look and see what Jesus has to say and see if it can help us in our lives today. Let's bow our heads and pray as we get started. Lord God, I thank you and praise you for the opportunity to speak a truth from Your Word that we need to hear today and help us to figure out how to apply it and live it out as Your Spirit leads us in Jesus' name. And all God's people said,
Well, tell you, friends, if today's scripture lesson is any indication of the kind of standard that Jesus had about physical intimacy, what we can all say is he had a very high standard, very high indeed. Now, Jesus was Jewish, remember, and he lived in the first century Jewish world and Jewish culture. That's where he taught. And uh, he seemed to affirm the traditional view of sexual morality held by that culture at that time, which is simply this. Sex is reserved for marriage. Sex is reserved for marriage. If you're not married, you stay celibate. Until you're married, if you get married. Then once you're married, you stay faithful and exclusive to your spouse. That was the standard of that day. That was the standard Jesus seemed to affirm. If you're celibate, you abstain. If you're married, you're exclusive and faithful to your spouse. But Jesus not only affirmed that standard, Jesus actually raised that standard a little bit. That's what today's scripture lesson is all about. It's part of the Sermon on the Mount. And you have to understand, Jesus is talking primarily to men here. He's talking primarily to married men in the Sermon on the Mount. Because in those days... It was the men who gathered for the teaching of the rabbi, and Jesus was a teacher. He would have attracted predominantly an audience of men, although there could have been women there if they had permission from their husbands or their fathers to be there. But it's primarily married men he's addressing. Uh, Men in those days got married at the age of 16, 17 years old. So, uh, you know, before that, you you probably didn't go and listen to a teacher with, with other men, but... But the men were there, most of them married, and so Jesus is addressing himself to married men. But let me say, this is every bit as relevant to women, single or married, and it's as it's relevant to men who are single or married today. And, and Jesus says, you have heard it said, do not commit adultery. He's just quoting one of the Ten Commandments given by God through Moses. But then he says this, he kicks it up a notch. He says, but I tell you this, anyone who l- looks lustfully at a woman has already committed adultery with her in his heart. Jesus is not just saying, don't commit adultery. He's saying, don't even think about it. Don't even imagine it. Don't even look with lust on another person. See, Jesus is teaching us here to draw a reasonable boundary around physical intimacy, but to most of us in the modern day, it doesn't feel like a very reasonable boundary. And it might not even have felt that reasonable to the people in Jesus' day. Don't even think about it. Our standard of sin is, hey, if you do it, that's a sin. But if you think about it and you don't do it, that's almost virtuous. Because, hey, I didn't do it. Jesus is saying, no, 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 you got to back it up. To even entertain the idea of Lust in your heart is to commit a lustful act. Now, why does Jesus set this standard so high? Because Jesus understands, first of all, that lustful looks lead to lustful thoughts. And lustful thoughts, if persisted in over time, can sometimes lead to lustful acts. See, sexual sin begins in the head before it ever gets to the bed. And Jesus understands that. And so he goes beyond just focusing on the external action. He gets to the thoughts that lead to the behavior. See, Jesus understands that sexual sin is the destructive fruit. But the attitude of the heart and the thoughts of the mind and imagination is the sinful root that leads to the destructive fruit. 
And so he gets to the root of the problem. Jesus understands that desires and the appetites of your heart are what lead to action. That's the root. So to those who say, well, there's nothing wrong with looking, Jesus would say, oh, yes, there is. Those who say there's nothing wrong with looking don't understand the progressive nature of sin and how it works. Sin gets you to take little steps, one at a time, one after another, until you get to a place you never thought you'd be. It's an old poem I've said before. Let me say it again. Sin will pull you farther than you'd ever thought you'd stray. Keep you longer than you ever thought you'd stay. And cost you more than you ever thought you'd pay. That's the reality and Jesus knows that. And Jesus knows the beginning of the desires and intentions of the heart get fed by what you look at and how you look at it. Let me give you a, a, a simple example. I was... Uh, Channel surfing a few weeks ago, came across the, one of those food channels, you know, food shows. A guy named Guy Fiari. You ever heard of him? He does like diners, dives, and drive-ins, right? He was at this hamburger joint up in Boston that specializes in making a particular kind of hamburger called the Mac Attack. It's a beautiful sandwich. Half a pound of beef. All, all just juicy, right? And, and then they pile on this mac and cheese with bacon in it. Oh, it looked fat. They kept showing how they made it, and then they showed the sandwich, and then they show people eating the sandwich. I watched that, and after it was over, what do you think I wanted to do? I wanted a mac. In fact, I'm going to Boston this uh, September, and I can guarantee you I'm going to go to that restaurant and have one of those sandwiches, Right? Now, there's nothing wrong with enjoying a hamburger like that, maybe on occasion, right? But what Jesus is getting at is what you look at stirs up desire. And stirs up a certain attitude and disposition of the heart. I had a friend I grew up with in high school. We stayed in touch over the years. and He's had this habit. Every year he goes out and buys the Sports Illustrated swimsuit issue. He doesn't subscribe to the magazine, but he gets the swimsuit every year because he likes the articles about how the swimsuits are made. No. He's been married, and we, we stay in touch and talk sometimes, and he still does that. And we've talked about that issue before, and what he's always said is he says, look, I'm married, I'm happily married, I'm not going to cheat on my wife, but, but there's nothing wrong with looking at that. He's, and here's what he says. He says, look, just because you're on a diet doesn't mean you can't look at the menu. And what sounds like a clever expression of common sense, Jesus says, is actually common nonsense. Because what you look at and how you look at it absolutely affects you. So Jesus raises the standard. And he says, don't even think about it. Don't even go there. And by the way, women, I know Jesus addresses this to men, but let me say it again. It affects you too. Women lust too. Women look too. Women imagine too. Second reason Jesus sets the standard so high, not only because looking leads to thinking and can lead to acting, but because looking and thinking is itself a form of action. See, When you look with lust on somebody, you're disrespecting them. That's an act. When you're thinking about it, that's an activity. Even though it's not 
manifesting itself externally, it's affecting you internally. See, here's the reality. Our thoughts affect our character and our thoughts reflect our character. So the reality is character is not stagnant. It's always being shaped and formed. You and I, every moment of every day, we're becoming more of somebody and less of somebody. So the question to ask is, how are my thoughts shaping my character? Are my thoughts making me more of a certain kind of person? A person who is loving and patient and kind and gracious and pure and holy and seeking to honor the Lord? Or are my thoughts and habits and patterns of of imagination, are they making me more of a creep? The reality is, friends, Jesus has very high standards because he knows what thoughts do to our character. Lust affects our character at a very deep level. There's a reason why people who view a lot of pornography find themselves unable to express authentic intimacy in the real world with a real person, and it's because pornography affects the way you see people. Pornography affects your character, and intimacy with another human being is always a character issue. And by the way, the the demographic group that has the highest rate right now in growing in terms of pornography, the highest growth rate for pornography right now is women, not men. And the average age, 14 to 16 years old. Girls, really, getting addicted to pornography. See, when we allow lust to take root in our heart, it diminishes our ability to enjoy this good gift that God has given to us. So to put it in very blunt terms, and don't email me after I say this, just I'm putting it in very blunt terms. The most powerful sex organ you have is not below your belt. It's between your ears. It's your mind. It's your thoughts, your imagination. And what goes into the mind really usually comes through the eyeballs, what we look at. That's why Jesus says don't even look with lust because eyes are the gateway to the the soul. So yes, Jesus has a very high standard here, not because he's trying to ruin our fun or ruin our lives, but because he's trying to rescue us from disaster. And when you understand how sin actually works in the human heart, And when you understand how thoughts affect the character, you begin to understand that Jesus does not have an unreasonable standard. He has the only reasonable standard. But it raises an important question. What does it mean to look with lust? What does it mean to look with lust on somebody? We we might all agree that you shouldn't do it, but how do you know when you've done it? Let's say you're at a coffee shop with a friend. And you're sitting down, you're having a conversation, and then somebody walks by you. Somebody who is very attractive. Maybe someone who's dressed a little provocatively to highlight that attractiveness. And that person walks by, and in your peripheral vision, you notice that person. And that person then sits down at a table, not far from you. And when you notice that person, because you're going to notice that person... You get a little charge of pleasure in your in your brain. What's happening physiologically at this point is dopamine, norepinephrine, oxytocin, and other what are known as uh, neurotransmitters are going to the, the pleasure receptors in your brain, and you're registering a positive charge, small but noticeable, a positive charge of pleasure when you see that person. 
Now, let me say that's perfectly normal. Absolutely normal. You're, hey, you're going to notice attractive people. Now, beauty is in the eye of the beholder, and different people have different standards on what they find attractive and don't find attractive. But whatever your standard is, when you see an attractive person, you're going to notice, and it's going to register in your mind that's an attractive person, and you're going to get a charge, a slight charge of pleasure from seeing that attractive person. It's what you do after that that determines whether it's lust or not. And by that, I don't mean you imagine the person naked or you imagine yourself in a romantic interlude with that person. That's, of course, lust. I'm talking about do you, do you intentionally then choose to look away? Because, you know, that's a human being, not an object for your pleasure. Do you then refocus your attention on this person you're having a conversation? Or do you every so often, out of the corner of your eye, keep looking over there to get that renewed charge of positive pleasure? See, it's not a sin to notice attractive people. It's a sin. It's lust when we begin to use those attractive people as an opportunity to keep getting ourselves this this slight pleasurable charge from from viewing them. That's that's what Jesus is getting at. Because that's what affects our character. What do you do after you notice? Determines whether it's lust or not. So, again, this is a very high standard. How do we try to live it out? In the few moments we have left, let me give you two commitments to consider making to help you with this. Um, first of all, if you want to honor this high standard that Jesus has set, uh, make a covenant with your eyes. That, that phrase, covenant with your eyes, it comes from actually the book of Job in the Old Testament where Job, seeking to live a life that pleases God, says, I have made a covenant with my eyes that I will not look with lust upon a young maiden. Make a covenant with your eyes. Decide in advance that when I notice somebody attractive and I get that little charge, I'm going to then redirect my focus, redirect my attention, and not use that person for my own inner pleasure. Notice in verse 29 of today's scripture, it, it says, uh, if your eye causes you to sin, pluck it out. Of course, Jesus doesn't mean this literally. What Jesus is really saying is, sometimes you have to take very intentional measures to keep sin from taking root in your life. And you have to draw boundaries in places where other people think you're, you're being overreacting. But you know, you know, because you know the nature of sin and what it does to your character, you know you've got to set boundaries way back here so you never get to here. And what Jesus is saying is when it comes to lust, what Jesus is saying here, when it comes to lust, you have to set the boundary way back because this is not a pet sin you manage. This is a cancer you remove. By whatever means necessary. In fact, uh, making a covenant with your eyes means that you are responsible. Not just for what you notice, but what you do after you notice. And you have to make an intentional decision. Martin Luther, the great reformer, put it this way. He says, you can't stop the birds from flying over your head. But you can prevent them from building a nest in your hair. Make a covenant with your eyes that you're not going to look at lust, with lust upon another person. And hey, can I say that's very difficult in our modern American culture? Can I get an amen on that? Because we live in a culture that is saturated 
with sexual images everywhere, encouraging us not only to look, but to look again and again and again and lust. Because lust sells. TV shows, movies, websites, books. It's all over a place. And it has a desensitizing effect to our morals and standards. We get used to it and then we start thinking it's acceptable. Going back to Jeremiah, we have forgotten how to blush. Fifty Shades of Grey, I mentioned that earlier. You know, that book sold over a hundred million copies. We've forgotten how to blush. Then they made a movie of it several years ago. Movie made over half a billion dollars, over $500 million. It is Universal Studios' top-selling movie of all time. Fifty Shades of Grey. And the next one's coming out. They're releasing it around Valentine's Day, like they did the first one. And I find it very interesting what our culture thinks is appropriate for Valentine's Day. This is a date movie? Really? You know who St. Valentine was? He was a priest who defied the king's orders to marry soldiers who wanted to have wives. The king had uh, had ruled that that soldiers couldn't have wives because then they'd be reluctant to go into war. They'd be worried for for dying and leaving their wives as widows. So he refused. Uh, but St. Valentine, who wasn't saint at that time, he was a priest, he went ahead and did those weddings because he believed that Couples should be able to love each other. But I can tell you what, St. Valentine had no idea what we would make of a day dedicated in his honor. Right? Just think about it. I mean, even, even modern TV shows, most of them have sexual content in it. I mentioned a few weeks ago, my wife and I started watching Walking Dead. We're not watching it anymore. Because of the content. Now, I'm not the moral police. You can watch whatever you want. You're, you're adult. And there's not a lot of content in there, but there was enough there that I said, you know what, we don't need that. We don't. Because the truth is about this content that you find in the, all your favorite TV shows, it's really not necessary. It usually doesn't move the plot along. So why is it there? It's there to get you to watch. Because they know if you're going to get a little titillated, you're more likely to watch. I'll tell you what is considered acceptable sexual conduct today on screens and music videos and everywhere else would have been considered soft pornography just a generation or two ago. Make a covenant with your eyes. Ask yourself, if Jesus was here with me, would I be looking at that? Regardless of the plot line. And the reality is, for most of us, we'd say, no. Well, guess what? Jesus is there with you. If you accepted Jesus in your heart and life, He's there. Your body is the temple of the Holy Spirit who dwells in you. Do not grieve the Holy Spirit, the Bible says. You don't have to pluck out your eyes, but you do have to be intentional and make a covenant with your eyes. And I'd encourage you to do that. Here's the second commitment I'd encourage you to make. See people as eternal souls made in the image of God rather than objects of desire and pleasure. See people for who they truly are. Eternal souls made in the image of God, not objects for our pleasure or our desire. You are not your hair or your clothes or your body or your muscles or your makeup. 
That's not fundamentally who you and I are. We are eternal souls made in the image of God, temporarily enclosed in a physical body. Yes, take care of the body. The Bible makes that clear. But, but don't objectify people. Right? Paul tells Timothy, he writes to Timothy, he says, he says, treat older women as though they were your mother. Treat younger women as though they were your sister, your kid sister. And by extrapolation, we could say to the ladies, treat older men as though they were your father and younger men as though they were your kid brother. Because truth is, most of the women we're encouraged to lust after in books and magazines and movies or wherever, they're somebody's daughter. Maybe even somebody's wife or somebody's mother. Somebody's kid's sister. The guys who go around in the movies and in the videos looking all hot, right? That's somebody's kid brother, somebody's father perhaps. And you say, well, yeah, but they dress that way and they do that because they want us to look at it. We can't be responsible for what other people want us to do. We can only be responsible for what we choose to do. Amen? At the end of the day, it's not how she's dressed or how he's dressed that's encouraging you to look. It's how you and I choose to respond when we notice an attractive person. So Jesus says, see people not as play toys, but as souls. Because you're not really loving your neighbor as yourself. Unless you treat them with respect. Regardless of how they're dressed or what they're doing on the screen. Because the more we use people for our pleasure, the more we want to use them for our pleasure. So as we wrap up this morning, uh, let me just remind everybody, physical intimacy is a good thing. It is a good gift from God to be enjoyed within reasonable boundaries. Jesus sets those boundaries and they seem very high, but they're high for a reason. Sex is not dirty or vile. But the boundaries are there to protect us. Fire is always good in the fireplace. But it's not good when it gets outside the fireplace and starts burning down the house. Because this standard is so high, sometimes we stumble and fall, don't we? Sometimes we don't always keep the standard. That's why it's so important to remember that forgiveness and grace and mercy are always available no matter who you are, no matter what you've done. Friends, let remind you, even if you have had some kind of lust issue or pornography addiction issue and you need to get serious help, get the help. Deal with whatever painful consequences you have to deal with. But remember, you are not rejected by God. And you are certainly not rejected or judged by the church. We want to give you hope for a better future. So ask for forgiveness. Get the help you needed if you need help. It's worth it. Not, not only for the pain you'll avoid in the future, but because of the person you'll become in the process. Make a covenant with your eyes. See other people as eternal souls. And when we do that, we discover that Jesus is not some unreasonable prude trying to ruin our fun. He is the wisest and best person who ever lived And He wants us to be more like Him. So we can enjoy the blessings that come from being wise and good. Let's pray together.
Lord, I acknowledge this is a difficult subject. 